This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. As you no doubt have noted, if you've been trying to listen to KDBS and by terrestrial radio, we are having some transmitter problems. We have been off the air for about the past week, more or less, and it does appear for the moment as though we will be off terrestrial broadcasting for probably several more weeks. We hope a resolution can be found sooner than that, but um, that currently is the way it's looking. Efforts are being made to ensure that uh, you can still hear this and other programs uh, via the KDVS website. And, of course, we know that many of you go directly to our website, radioparallax.com, to listen in an uninterrupted fashion. A lot of this does point out the fact that KDVS needs your support more than ever. There is much talk afoot of having an emergency pledge drive this fall. We uh, will do everything possible to assist in that process if it goes forward, and I hope it does, because the unfortunate fact is that over the past, say, 10 years, we have generally failed to meet our pledge drive goals. Sometimes we did, but sometimes we did not. And of course, as is so often the case in many areas of life, money can be at the heart of the problem, as in not having enough money. Had a few more funds been available, we would have had some backups in place once there were some transmitter problems out at the new dump transmitter site. But that's, that isn't the case. Uh, it's unfortunate. We're going to do what we can to assist, as I say, efforts to fix all of this. And we're going to need your support, dear listener, to make that possible. We want to note, too, with a great deal of sadness, that it appears, as it stands today, that we will probably make the end of summer session the last regular broadcast of Radio Parallax here on KDVS. We plan to continue on our website, however, and if things can be worked out, we may have some sort of best of program airing throughout the fall quarter, and there may be some original content uh, in that as well. We don't know, but uh, discussions continue, negotiations continue, and we'll see what we can do about it. We certainly do not anticipate being gone from broadcasting in all forms in a few weeks, but, um, well, it just seems as though due to circumstances beyond our control, and I don't mean what's going on with the transmitter, but just a lot of circumstances beyond our control, we may have to take a bit of a hiatus here in, in terms of regular original broadcasting. As partial compensation, dear listener, we're going to do what we can to go back to the beginning and have all of Radio Parallaxes available on our website. We have located uh, the original materials. There just are going to be some technical difficulties perhaps in the transfer, but we will do what we can in the next month or two and hopefully have uh, you know everything we've done up and available. At any rate, let us begin the program as we like to do with On This Date in History. Our date today is the 27th of August. And it was on August 27th, in the year 413 B.C., during the Peloponnesian Wars, that the Athenian fleet, in attempting to withdraw after a defeat by Sparta, well, got their plans interrupted when an eclipse of the moon occurred that night. Evidently, the Athenian astrologers assured the military forces that this was a good sign, that victory was going to be theirs. 
And unfortunately, the military listened to their astrologers and stayed on. This proved to be a fatal delay. The fleet got trapped and much mayhem ensued. Curiously, however, 2,400 years later, people are still relying upon the advice of astrologers. Beware. All right, it was on August 27th in the year 1883 that one of the world's largest explosions in recent times occurred. This is on the Indonesian volcanic island of Krakatoa. The explosion was heard 2,000 miles away, and it threw five cubic miles of rock 50 miles into the air and created tidal waves up to 120 feet. The disaster killed about 36,000 people. Rather curiously, it was on August 27, 1894, that the U.S. Congress passed the nation's first graduated income tax as part of the Wilson-Gorman Tariff Act. But the United States Supreme Court declared it unconstitutional. Wouldn't you know what Congress said about fixing that little gap, and by 1913 they had the infrastructure in place for the income tax, which has been with us ever since. Two years later, August 27th in 1896, in a dispute over who was rightly the Sultan of Zanzibar, the island off the Tanzanian coast, the British protectorate lost to England after shelling began. It was the shortest war on record, lasting 38 minutes. And speaking of war, it was on August 27th in 1928 when 60 nations meeting in Paris signed the Kellogg-Briand Pact, which outlawed war in favor of the peaceful settlement of disputes. It was a hell of a nice idea, but as subsequent history would show, it didn't pan out. This allows us to segue into our quote of the day, which comes from the German philosopher George Wilhelm Friedrich Hegel, who said in his Philosophy of History introduction, What experience and history teach is this, that people and governments never have learned anything from history or acted on principles deduced from it. Ow! Our quip of the day comes from Francis Bacon, the English writer, philosopher, and statesman, Said Bacon, in The Advancement of Learning, If a man will begin with certainties, he shall end in doubts. But if he will be content to begin with doubts, he shall end in certainties. Well, at least, he often will. For our joke of the day, we have to thank, I think, the, uh, the writers for Jimmy Fallon, who noted last week that in an interview, Jeb Bush said that if he had a magic wand, there are at least ten things he would like to change about the Constitution. At that point, Jeb Bush was given a prize for, quote, lamest use of a magic wand, unquote. Oh, ho, ho, it's magic, you know. Never believe it's not so. And speaking of Jeb Bush, I think I'd like to use him for our anecdote of the week for today's program. There's probably several anecdotes mixed up in this, but, you know, let's just, let's just start with the fact that the WashingtonPost.com noted that you'd think that the Iraq war would be the last thing Jeb Bush would want to talk about, but he keeps bringing it up. In his first major foreign policy speech last week, Bush peddled the idea that the U.S. would have won the catastrophic conflict started by his brother, whom he made president by stealing the election of Florida, I hasten to add. If only President Obama, with Hillary Clinton's tacit approval, hadn't withdrawn prematurely and left ISIS fill the power vacuum. 
Jeb insisted that George W. Bush's surge left Iraq fragile but secure, and taking out Saddam Hussein turned out to be a pretty good deal. Asked the Post, a good deal? The war cost $2 trillion, the lives of 4,000 U.S. troops, tens of thousands of more wounded in body and spirit, and America's reputation around the world. Wrote Paul Waldman, Bush's revisionism is so deranged that it boggles the mind. Fred Kaplan in Slate.com added that Bush also got crucial facts wrong. His brother's administration, not Obama's, signed the agreement mandating that the U.S. withdraw by the end of 2011. And, to his discredit, Obama tried to keep some residual troops there, but Prime Minister Nouri al-Maliki refused. And it was Maliki's insistence on Shiite dominance and his refusal to share power with the Sunnis that deepened the country's secular divisions and left the lane open for ISIS. And finally, Byron York, writing in the WashingtonExaminer.com, noted that for Bush, refighting the Iraq war is a political loser. But Jeb may simply be too tied to his family legacy to look at Iraq objectively. Adding his tone-deaf comments suggest the Republicans may need to nominate a candidate who can address Iraq and ISIS going forward, not looking backward. I know that really doesn't fit the definition of anecdote very well, but we're going to stick with it. And I'm going to have to embellish it a little bit because there's more to be said about this subject of Iraq and, for that matter, neighboring Syria. When Saddam Hussein was in power in Iraq, Islamic fundamentalists were not running amok. Remember so well, Ms. Millen, reporting here, was it four years ago, about all of the hawks that wanted us to go and destabilize the Syrian regime to bring down Bashir al-Assad. People were saying then, we don't have enough power to pull that off. We're going to create chaos, which of course is exactly what happened. We should note that ISIS, currently brutalizing the territory under its control, owes a great deal of its military successes to the fact that on the battlefield, it's quite competent because it's led by a cadre of ex-Iraqi generals. Yes, Sunni generals under Saddam are now leading successful military efforts in conjunction with their former enemy, the radical Islamic fundamentalists. Boy, politics does make strange bedfellows, doesn't it? We have veteran al-Qaeda commanders with deep military training, and I suspect in some cases possibly going back to Afghanistan possibly funded by the Saudis, possibly helped by our own CIA, throwing their lot together and trying to create this so-called caliphate. They've only got about 30,000 people under arms, but they have defeated much larger forces, which were, well, apparently military forces in name only. They're currently operating across an area about the size of Maryland, spread out over Syria and Iraq, consisting mainly of several cities and a lot of small towns and villages. I'm sad to note on a personal level that ISIS is doing what people feared they might do in the Syrian spectacular ruins of Palmyra. In 1999, this correspondent, after visiting Turkey, to which an eclipse of the sun, traveled down to Antakya, which used to be part of Syria, but the Turks grabbed it at the end of World War I, and then took a bus into Syria, which, to say the least, um, had few American tourists at the time. 
but, ha- but did have a fair number of Italians and French. And when I traveled out to see Palmyra, which was quite a wonderful sight out in the desert, having been part of the uh, trade caravans in past millennia, I, I enjoyed the couple of days that I had there. Unfortunately, ISIS has now taken what were once Roman ruins and blown them up. These are really bad guys. The head of the antiquities out there, age 81, got beheaded by these monsters. Evidently because he would not reveal to them, even under torture, where some of the artifacts had been buried. ISIS, although it's publicly destroying lots of monuments, is happy to dig up the small items, smuggle them across the border into Turkey, and have them sold on the international market to fund their activities. Yes, it's horrifying. Yes, it's disgusting. But step back and ask yourself, why is this going on? Who went in there and disrupted the political situation in the area to make so much of this possible? And if you're struggling for an answer, the answer is the United States. And although I can't put my hands on it right now, I had a piece dug up from several years ago from Pat Buchanan, of all people, suggesting that a lot of the neocon-driven politics that the U.S. was pursuing in the Middle East seemed to be influenced rather heavily by the government of Israel. I find it odd to be agreeing with Pat Buchanan on this, but it does certainly appear that the influence of Israel over what actions we take in the Middle East do seem a bit, well, self-centered. Since I'm digressing like mad today, let me take a moment to talk about Jimmy Carter, probably America's greatest ex-president, Jimmy Carter has done a hell of a lot of good since he left office 35 years ago. And uh, we note with sadness that he has publicly admitted that his cancer has now spread to his brain and his time is probably going to be short. But he is clearly facing the end with a good attitude, with a smile, and um, the viewpoint that he's had a marvelous life and is now ready for what comes next. The news about Carter prompted me to pull a book off the shelf, which has been sitting there since, I think, 2007. Jimmy Carter's Palestine, Peace, Not Apartheid. This is definitely worth saying a few words about, but I'm going to defer that to, I think, our second segment and continue with our usual boilerplate. And for our good news item of this week's show, we have, I guess, in a way, a related story. It turns out that three Sacramento men subdued a jihadist on a Paris-bound train who was intent upon much mayhem with an AK-47. Spencer Stone from Carmichael stopped the gunman by putting him in a chokehold. He was aided by Alec Scarlatos and Anthony Sadler in subduing this man. The three men were childhood friends. I do want to note that my neighbor Deanne is quite familiar with Anthony Sadler and Spencer Stone and said they are both fine young men. They undoubtedly stop a massacre. The man reportedly had at least nine cartridges of ammunition. Of course, no word from the NRA on this as to whether that would be needed for some legitimate hunting purposes. Anyway, I don't know, I don't know that we'll be lucky enough to bring either one of these fellows onto Radio Parallax, but if the opportunity arises, we'll, we'll try to speak with them. And by the way, I, I can't help but circling back to an article which I'd pulled uh, to discuss the ISIS situation. It was a headline from the B, May 26, 2015. Article by James Rosen from the McClatchy Washington Bureau. I love the headline. Islamic State Crisis Sparking Bipartisan Silence in Congress. And anyway, for our stat of the day, we have the following. Oil prices are at a a six-year low. They dropped 3% to $42 a barrel. 
The American Automobile Association predicts gasoline prices may fall to $2 a gallon by New Year's, which will probably get idiots back in their SUVs. Well, at least it's going to come too late to save the Hummer. Although we're pretty sure Arnold Schwarzenegger is still driving his. All right, let's jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, it was a good week last week for lasting passion. After a 71-year-old man got arrested for attacking Talladega, Alabama's 74-year-old mayor, Larry Barton, with a baseball bat, no less, after allegedly catching Barton on a hidden camera having sex with the man's estranged wife. Here's what I like best about the story. said an attorney who viewed the Randy tape, It gives me hope when I'm 70. It was, on the other hand, a bad week for the free press, at least the free press in Ecuador, with the news that that country declared a state of emergency this week as Cotopaxi Volcano, 30 miles from the capital. I believe it is actually the world's highest active volcano. is now threatening to erupt for the first time in more than 100 years. Now, it should be noted that if Cotopaxi does blow, it could cause fast-moving mud and rock flows in an area inhabited by 325,000 people. Saying he wanted to avoid mass panic, President Rafael Correa imposed a media gag order on coverage of Cotopaxi. Yes, evidently even on social media, only government-issued reports on the status of the volcano are allowed. Cotopaxi's been rumbling since April, and last week it shot a plume of ash three miles high. Or at least, so some alleged. And it was an ugly week last week for Kings Canyon National Park with the news that a blaze destroyed the Kings Canyon Lodge. I believe that's where I stayed several years back when I took a motorcycle trip down to Kings Canyon. And by the way, once this rough fire passes and things go back to normal, you really should consider, dear listener, visiting Kings Canyon. It is a world-class destination, which unfortunately has to compete with nearby Yosemite National Park for tourist visitors. Uh, Kings Canyon is a very cool place in its own right. Sorry about the fire that passed through, but hopefully it will be part of the natural restoration process, which is, you know, part of the cycle of life in the Sierra. In fact, one of our recent contributors uh, took a hike last month to this region, and we may have him come on and talk about that in the uh, months to come. Yours truly was supposed to go on that hike, but circumstances prevented me from being able to do this. Hopefully I'll do better next year. And it was both a bad and ugly week last week for abortion rights with the news that an 11-year-old Paraguayan girl who was raped by her stepfather gave birth last week to a 7-pound, 13-ounce baby by cesarean section after the Paraguayan courts denied her an abortion. Said the director of the Reina Sofia Hospital, it was like any other cesarean, but with the age difference. The girl's mother, who's been charged with negligence, sought a termination for her daughter. But abortion is legal in Paraguay only if the mother's life is at stake, and doctors determined that the then 10-year-old was healthy. This case has prompted some discussion of abortion in the deeply Catholic country, but much more about ways to prevent child abuse. And speaking of the interface of birth control and Catholicism, we have this item much closer to home. 
article in the San Francisco Chronicle by Bob Agelko notes that Rachel Miller was due to have her second child in late September and agreed with her husband that this would be her last pregnancy. She decided that she'd be sterilized by tubal ligation after giving birth. But her hospital up in Reading, owned by Dignity Health in San Francisco, formerly known as Catholic Healthcare West, refused to allow her doctor to perform the procedure, saying tubal ligation violates the ethical principles of Catholic healthcare facilities. The article notes that Miller's case could become the springboard for legal attacks on barriers to reproductive procedures other than abortions at Catholic hospitals in California, whose numbers are steadily increasing. The article quotes Elizabeth Gill, an American Civil Liberties Union attorney, represents Miller as saying hospitals that are open to the general public and that receive state money shouldn't be able to use religion to discriminate or deny important health care. She noted that the hospital receives state Medi-Cal funds as well as federal funding from both Medi-Cal and Medicare. In an August 17th letter to Mercy Medical Center in Reading, Gill said the ACLU would go to court unless the hospital reversed course and authorized the sterilization procedure. Later in the article, it notes that Miller had said earlier in the week that she'd repeatedly called Mercy Medical Center seeking an explanation after her doctor showed her the rejection letter she'd received from the hospital in April. The hospital never responded. Said Miller, I was shocked to learn from my doctor that the hospital was telling me no and that the only basis for that was a religious doctrine. She said, I have no problem with people practicing their religion, but because there are so many Catholic hospitals, especially in the North State where I live, that it leaves women with very little choice. Now, it turns out in this case that the closest alternative hospital for Miller that could perform the delivery and then do the tubal ligation is the UC Davis Med Center, 160 miles away. That distance means that she'd have to be away from her first child for three to five days during her hospitalization. Miller's case, if it goes to court, has a potentially broad impact because of the growth of Catholic hospitals. Dignity Health is the nation's fifth largest private health care system. It owns 29 hospitals in California. More than half are affiliated with the Catholic Church, including St. Francis Memorial Hospital and St. Mary's Medical Center in San Francisco. As reported on this program many years ago, Catholic Healthcare West, now aka Dignity Health, has been buying up hospitals all over California, and when they do so, they have then restricted access to procedures like, obviously, abortions, tubal ligations, etc., because of religious doctrine. When I worked at a facility owned by CHW, the in-house pharmacy would not fill prescriptions for birth control pills due to Catholic doctrine. As a physician, I could write them, but the patient would have to go elsewhere to get them filled. I'd have to join Elizabeth Gill, the ACLU attorney representing Rachel Miller, and ask, yeah, if hospitals are open to the general public and receive state money, how can they use religion to discriminate or to, or to deny important health care? It's a valid question. All right, let's take a short break, but before we do so, I have to cite one final item relating to religion and maybe denial of realities. In this case, it concerns Jerry Lee Lewis. He's evidently currently wrapping up an 80th birthday tour and, of course, winding up his six-decade career, which is peppered by pill-popping, heavy drinking, and nearly constant controversies, including the mysterious drowning death of his fourth wife in the pool and the death of his fifth wife from a drug overdose. But the killer says he has no regrets, saying, I've never done anything I'm ashamed of. 
Coming from a guy who once shot his bass player in the chest and caused a national scandal at age 22 when he unveiled the second of his seven wives, his 13-year-old cousin, whom, by the way, he had wed before his first divorce had been finalized. By the way, Jerry Lee Lewis stands by that marriage, saying, I wasn't the kind of guy who'd take a girl and put her up on a hill and then just marry her when I got her pregnant. I married my girls. Of course, Lewis does admit that his God-fearing Southern roots, he is, after all, a cousin of Jimmy Swaggart, has left him wondering how he's going to fare come Judgment Day. Said Jerry Lee Lewis, I always wonder whether I was going to heaven or hell. I still am. I worry about it before I go to bed. It's a very serious situation. I mean, you worry when you breathe your last breath. Where are you going to go? Let's take that short break. I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax. Stick around. we got plenty more.